Hey everybody, we're changing our scheduling a little bit. We're going to keep our every other Tuesday release schedule for the interviews, but we're going to shift the conversations with the three of us to the third Thursday of every month. So don't be surprised when you see three podcasts from us every month. This is a good thing. Hey, it's Jonathan with Sweat the Details. I'm here with Jim and Keith, and uh, thanks for thanks for joining us today. So we um, have a couple topics we want to talk about today. One one thing that's uh, kind of top of mind is we are fresh off a um, client, or excuse me, an agent appreciation party uh, for a Shenandoah Valley office, which is uh, about 30 miles from uh, from Charlottesville. And uh, we this was a concept that we started a couple years ago, but in the, our Shenandoah Valley office has done it three times now. Um, and Keith, you want to give the background on where the, uh, where the idea came from? Yeah. Uh, so I guess, um, I, I don't remember exactly when it was, I think we had been in business probably about 18 months, tw- maybe 20 months. And we had, a, you know, a smaller list of agent roster. I mean, I think we had seven or eight agents at the time. And we kind of said, you know, we wanted to just say thank you for the fact that we had had a couple of successful years and we were excited for where we were and wanted to kind of just get together with the agents with whom we do a lot of business. And um, so we put together a, a cute little invite and dropped it off by hand to every office in which we had brokers that had done deals with us on either side. You know, if we had listed and they had brought a buyer, if they had had a listing that we had bought from them and invited them out to Commonwealth Sky Bar. It was a uh, soft launch week for the a brand new restaurant, which was kind of exciting at the time. And um, we had, I mean, I think there were about 180 people invited to that party and we probably had 40 to 50 oh, come. There was more than that. I think there was there had to have been 75 or 80 people. We had there. we had the staff from the association yep. who came out. It was for all it was the just bro- a all the really agents fun and eat. their brokers. Yeah. They hand, was, they hand delivered the uh, the invitations to each to each office to the individual agents yep, in, right. in each office. Yeah, the invitations were pretty cool too. They were um, Chinese takeout boxes filled with raffia. Yeah. With an egg which and took them. forever to source. We right. could not find them. We they looked like f- dinosaur eggs, actually. Awesome. you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Tiny dinosaur eggs. The but, first uh, eggs. But it was unique, the first right? eggs? The, 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 East, the plastic <laughs> Easter eggs that came in, we <laughs> right. got rid of those. So those, those were recycled. Yeah. But no one, no one had ever seen anything like that before. No, no one had seen anything like it before. And you know, the other interesting, funny part about it was that we, I think the, the invitation, the, the idea behind it was twofold. One was, and, and definitely the number one was to say thank you. Um, to these cooperating agents, and we'll get into that more about the uh, about why that's important. But the second was, we wanted to create um, an event. At that point, we wanted to create an event every year that encouraged cooperating agents to want to show our, our listings. listings. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought that if our listings were priced well and staged well, um, and there was an incentive you know, uh, additional incentive f- to sell a nest listing. And, and that's would, Hey, you get an invite to, a, to a, this really fun party every year. And that wouldn't be a, you know, a deciding factor of putting a contract in. But if you were showing five properties and you already picked four and that fifth property was like, do I want to show an ABC realty listing or a nest listing? It's like, Oh, maybe there's a What's nudge also, to show the nest. It's a listing. nudge, but it's also the fact that we, our agents are nice. We like our agents. And we want them to be friendly and amicable right. with everybody else. Right. Like I wrote an offer on a property the other day, and it's with an agent I've worked with a bunch of times over the years. You know, and it was it's just I'm looking forward to the transaction. I would well, it comes, but it also comes back to the very first week we were in business. We said, "What are we going to do to kind of remain out there since we're going to be a smaller office?" And it was, "We're going to stay involved in the association, or we're going to find ways to to continue cooperating, not just on transactions, but." 
but find ways to be involved in in the business with other people and and to get to know them better and and know one another personally when you make a call to say I want to present an offer. Right. Plus, again, I think we were talk- talking earlier. It's not rocket science. And when I started practicing in 2001, my broker then he encouraged me to get involved at the association because he said, if you are in an in an environment where you have you know three offers uh, on on your listing, would you again the, the agent doesn't pick anything. But you would you be feel more comfortable with the agent you sat on the government Affair, government affairs committee with versus the one you've never heard of? It's human nature to right. want to work with people right. you know. Relationships. Yeah. Yep. And so the party was was something that helped build those relationships. You see people in a, in a social setting that is not right. artificial; it's authentic. There's a cool party on the top of in Charlottesville. It's a rooftop, but it's on the second story, so it's not really. <laughs> You know, it's not near the well, high this, rooftop bar. This was bar. also the, the before the rooftop bars became a, a thing. thing everywhere. Right, um, right. And so it was, a, it was, it was, it was novel. Know, it, yeah, it was novel then. And so we and started the trend. We did. Okay. And the other, the other, I think, really cool thing that we did is there was TVs behind the bar, and we had the name "Thank You," and we and we right. had the names rotating of all the agents, uh, cooperating agents, and that's of everything not mm-hmm. not the free drinks and the camaraderie but of everything saying thank you for years people would come and say that was so great when we did well, that we people, really we really appreciate it and it wasn't at all i mean the, the 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 little bit of the perception was oh this is just a recruiting event to get more people it wasn't a recruiting event at all it was really to say thank you yeah. and we wanted to say thank you because cooperation we have a we have a card that our agents use a, a, a thank you card that our agents use for cooperating agents that says thank you, but Y O is only spelled in the front with a line where the U should be, and it says on the inside, "We couldn't have done this without you." And that's it's cheesy, but it's the truth, right? Right. It's the truth. A transaction, if you're the buyer's agent or the listing agent, a transaction without an agent on the other side is much more difficult. It, yeah, than, it's than a with, miserable experience than with, with than with a cooperating agent on the other side. Someone who's that, competent? Who's, who's competent? Right. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's something I saw an ad for for something the other day that it was it was highlighting the competence when you when you're choosing all these people, you want to choose the competent one. Mm-hmm. So I think it's something that when, with Nest agents, I, and most of the agents we work with in our in Charlottesville, they're all good, for the most part. You know, so I think that knowing who you're dealing with is something that is is critical. And to be able to walk into a transaction and, and assure the client who hasn't done this in seven or ten years, and say it's going to be okay, because of, of this is how this, the transaction is going to be structured. Alternatively, there are a couple that we all know that you go into with it, you prepare the client, say this one's going to be bumpy. Your guards up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I sold a house recently that two years ago, something like that, and my clients it was with an agent who it was bumpy, and they went into the uh, into the listing transaction saying. One of the re- one of the reasons we work with you again is because you know you, we worked well together last time, but also you prepared us adequately because we knew this was going to be a bumpy transaction. And so I think that setting expectations for the client, you know, just because you know these agents, you interact with them on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, whatever, is is a is a good thing. So we're in a we're in a relatively small market in Charlottesville, but the, you know the challenge is when you get into bigger cities. Mm-hmm. You know, we have offices in Atlanta and just south of. Northern Virginia and Fredericksburg and Richmond and you know Raleigh Durham and places like that that the the vast majority of transactions you go into not all not in all cases but you're working with a cooperating agent on the other side that you don't know. So well, and I think you know when agents come to me and they ask for advice on a on a transaction we're discussing something, one of the first questions is always who's the agent on the other side, trying to get a, a 
just a gauge for, again, the level of competency or, or our knowledge of, of who they are, how they work. And because a lot of times it's sometimes it's a consumer who's driving a bumpy issue and sometimes it's an agent who's not sure how to navigate it. You just we're trying to figure that out. Right. But in Charlottesville, pretty much every name that gets thrown out, we know exactly who it is. Um, in the larger markets, that's just not the case. I mean, you don't. There's no reason to ask who this is because it's it's not someone that we've done 25 deals with over the last three years already, and not somebody that you know. You there's no there's tendencies. A, there's no scouting report on. Yeah, there's a there's a, well, there's right. just a different level of of knowledge and a relationship, and and how do you how do you just quickly work together and remind each other of, of how you've worked in the past? Well, I mean, in, in Fredericksburg, the you know our broker there, Sarah, told me years ago that that. When she she does not do a transaction with the same agent twice, right? Which is a completely foreign concept to me. It totally changes the way in which an agent is going to work with each other, right? right? So we opened the Richmond office in the first nine months. We did about seventy five transactions, and of those seventy, we had seventy four different agents on the other side of those transactions. So we had one agent in the first nine months who had did more than one transaction with our office, which is just. It's really difficult to build a relationship and have any reason for accountability. You know, we talk about wanting local lenders. I mean, the importance of that, because it's somebody we can go back to, someone we know, someone we can call on, because they know that it is important to make our clients happy, because it's important to keep our agents happy, because they're going to continue referring business. It's really difficult when the agents on the other side are people you're not going to transact with again. And it really is a one-deal you know, get this done and, and move on to the next next transaction in terms of the relationship. And I'm not saying that that's, that's true of their business or the way we work with our clients, but just in terms of the way we interact with other agents. So how do you approach that in a situation, you know, Jim, I'll, I'll pose this question to you. When you know that you're going to be working with an agent again in a transaction with your next client in three, six, nine, 12 months, but you're involved in a difficult transaction right now, you need to represent your client today and hold your ground, but right. knowing that, you know, there's a hundred percent chance that I'm going to work with this agent again in the next two years yeah. with a client, and I don't want to stain that uh, transaction for my client in the future. Well, I mean, it's you know, it's it's a it's a delicate balance, and it took me years to you know, to really build the ability to do this. But it's not getting, and I've never gotten personal in how I in how I practice. But it's advocating for your client. Adequately, adequately and vigorously, but not being personal in how it's approached. You focus on the contract, you focus on the transaction, you focus on doing what's right for the client, and from a buy side perspective, making sure that my buyer is ready, willing, and able to walk away, but also making sure to protect the client from those interactions. Uh, I mean, I've been doing this for, again, for a long time, and there's only one agent in Charlotte Market that I've actually, or two, but one that I got into a, a dispute with where I literally hung up on the guy. It was 13 or 14 years ago. Uh, and it was his fault, but you know. But it was it was something that uh, it generally it, I'm able to to not respond to the emotions. I think that the the difficulties come come into play when the other agent gets emotional when they start sharing that emotion that they're they're in the stresses that their clients feeling. So it's a matter of just res, you know not responding in kind if they get emotional, uh, and focusing on, on the contract and, and what the words on the contract say, because there's a you know I will work with that agent again. Uh, and I want to make sure that you know this one is solved, whether we move forward or we terminate. It moves; it's solved, so that everybody feels, if not this, if this, if the conclusion is not what we wanted, at least it was done professionally. Um, so I mean, I think it's you know just treat it like a profession. You know, I, I look back to years ago; I was in court for something, watching a, watching a case, and you know, I remember the the attorneys 
were just spitting fire at each other, just you know, just doing what attorneys do, like you know, like on TV, you know. And and then they walked out, and it was like the cartoons when we were kids, like the sheepdog and the wolf when they're walking out, like, "Hey, Bob, good day today." Clocking out. It's exactly it. You know, so, so, so something I have in my head is we might argue a little bit, but at the end of the day, we need to advocate for our clients and be friendly. And being nice is not hard. So I think that's the, the foundation for most of what I do when I practice. Yeah, it's important to, to keep those relationships going for sure. And, and, you know, the other kind of interesting part of this is you were, is we were talking about a few minutes ago is the kind of the scouting report, not just on the uh, cooperating agent, but on the whole team they have behind them. So if you have a listing, buyer's agent brings their buyer, you know, who's the lender, you know, those type of things too. You kind of take all that into account as you... You know, it is, it is funny. I think there's, there's no question buyers totally underestimate the, the amount of importance that sellers, because of the agents in large part, will put on the quality of that, pre, that pre-qualification letter. When it comes in from an internet lender and no one's heard of them and nobody knows who it is, there's immediate questioning. And if there's an equal offer with a lender that we know and we know how to get in touch with, there is no question which one is, is that preferred. logo makes a huge it's, difference it's on unbelievable. the top of that letter. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, talking about like, you know, and look, a good listing agent should pay attention to kind of in their mind, be calculating that scouting report. You know, as you guys know, I'm a big baseball fan. And like baseball uh, players know that certain pitchers have tendencies in certain spots to throw different pitches and do different things, and batters have tendencies. So as a listing agent and a buyer's agent, knowing you know, the scouting report of the other agent so you can advise your clients right. on, hey, look, you know, this agent's great, but ju- I just want to tell you that the last three deals I've done with her, she has gotten the um, home inspection request to us at 11.59 p.m. Right. So it's probably going to come down to the last second. Well, I think that's a good point. I think that it's something that there's a, you know, the, the app, uh, HomeSnap app, you can look at the sort of the scouting report for the agents. And it's great. I yeah. used that recently to look at an agent I was going, wasn't going up against, but she was on the other side. And I saw that she had done very little business. And so I knew going into it that she might not be as, as competent as somebody who has seven years of experience who's good. Not that years equal equate experience but or, or competence. But it's something that also that one of the data points is not in there is that when I get an offer from another agent that I know is not super wonderful, I know that I'm going to have to check that contract 16 times because they're going to be – if they don't check that the, uh, the offer is contingent on a loan – you know, that's an easy box to mix, to miss. But I want to make sure that representing my, my seller, that we check that box, even though contractually we might be in a better position to say, no, it's fine. It's just, it's just a typo. But you know going into it, I need to make sure that you know, I check the spelling and I check the boxes and you, you verify everything. When there's another one, it's almost, and I read everything. Looking at my broker here, I read everything, I promise. You know, but it's, it's something that you, you can read it a bit more frivolously to say, oh, okay, I know this agent. She's really good. It's going to be fine. So there's more. To, you know, there's there's the data, and then there's the the malleable, intangible data that is you know, it's human and, and intrinsic values. Yeah, and just kind of going back to the, the the idea of cooperation. So where we started last night, our Shenandoah Valley office had a um, agent appreciation party, very well attended. Um, it was great. Just the camaraderie in the room. Um, one of the agents that was invited from a, another firm brought flowers to one of our agents. To say thank you back, which was awesome. Like I saw, one that's of our cool. Just leaving with that's flowers, cool. and she was, you know, kind of probably you know, beaming, bragging, yeah. beaming that I they brought that's me awesome. flowers, and she's leaving 
And then she can Skip, take them home to her significant other and say, look, I got you flowers. <laughs> she could. Um, but it was great. I think that, you know, I, I think that those type of relationships that you build outside of the transaction mm-hmm. uh, for realtors are, are extremely important to making sure that your clients uh, are well represented and you can bring your clients through as smooth of a transaction as possible. It's very tough. We know that we're all busy and and it's tough to carve out time at night on mm-hmm. a regular basis, but this is once a year. And one, you know, one of the other cooperating agents from another firm even said, um, hey, I've already done a transaction with Nest this year. I'm going to get invited next year, right? And so, <laughs> um, so it was great. It was, it was a great event and uh, really proud of our office for, uh, for putting that together. And, and, and it's a testament to them. They had such a, such a strong turnout. That's awesome. So I, I want to talk uh, today about a Christmas present that I got uh, a couple months ago. It's amazing to think that Christmas is, you know, coming up on on a Two couple months, months away. <sighs> really? Months ago, Did that yeah. really happen? Uh, what happened? Um, so my wife got me a whoop strap, and if you're not familiar with a whoop strap, uh, it's W H O O P, and it's essentially a um, you know kind of a little device that I put on my wrist, and it tracks um, data. You know, a lot of data that's that's tracked by uh, Apple watches and things mm-hmm. like that. It's heart rate, heart rate variability, you know, my sleep, my REM sleep, um, a lot of things like that. But the, the interesting thing that it does, it takes all that data and it compiles it. This is a little bit scary with the tens of millions of other data points that it has from all the other Whoop users. And it gives me back feedback about, um, about how, how much I should push myself in terms of exercise, um, what my recovery is and how, how much I've recovered from the previous day. Um, it, it actually has a sleep coach and tells me based on the amount of exercise and how much I've slept the day before and how much stress I have and what my heart rate is throughout the day and my heart rate variability. It tells me what time I should go to bed based on when I'm trying to wake up and how I want to quote-unquote perform. Um, it has some data called, a, called strain. It tells you, kind of gives you feedback about how, um, how hard you've worked in terms of exercise and um, gives recommendations of how much you should push yourself or shouldn't push yourself on certain days. Um, and, the, you know, the, it's it's been just having it on my wrist for the last couple of months has been really eye-opening from a couple of different standpoints. And none of this is, you know, it's not rocket science, right? We'll, we'll use that again. Um, but the amazing things to me is, like, how much sleep plays in a role into how well you feel. Um, it obviously can't track the type of foods I'm putting in my body, but I can see... Um, you know, I can see, you know, what, the what response happens, to the response it. Sure. to it. Um, alcohol, it's amazing. Like me. So one thing I've learned about myself, and we're going to talk about how this relates to real estate here in a second. But one thing I've learned about myself, um, based on, you know, I tell it if I've had one or two drinks right. and the next day it tracks my score and tells me kind of what my, what my recovery is and, and, you know, different data points like that. Um, it's, it's actually shown me that, at, I now know this at 43 years old now that I'm affected about 20% more by alcohol than the average Whoop user. So something that I would never known. Right. But my heart rate and heart rate variability and things like that, um, it affects me negatively 20% more. So I'm, my body clearly doesn't process alcohol the way that most people, you know, most uh, the average quote unquote average person. I think you're also looking at a fairly highly selective data data set. Also, it people, is. It's, yeah. it's athletes. It's right. it's. A much healthier group than the national average, um, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. But the the interesting thing to me, like with that specifically, and mm-hmm. kind of bleeding into how this relates to real estate, is it's it's you you know, 
everything about the whoop data and it's still getting to know me is unique for every person. So right. how alcohol affects right. me, how sleep affects me, how running eight miles affects me versus running three miles and lifting weights. Like all that stuff is unique to every person, just like in real estate. Um, you know, things are unique to every person. So we talk about kind of the, the whole point of this is you, you can't change things you don't track. Right. right. So in real estate, you can't change things you don't track. So I'm, I'm as, a, as a realtor, you know, if someone doesn't track their business and what they're doing on a daily basis and how much they're staying in touch with clients and, you know, what they're doing for lead gen, then if you're not tracking that information, you can't change it. And so the unique thing to me is there's, you know, there's books, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, and lots of other books that say, if you follow this formula, if you stay in touch with these people, you know, for every listing you have, you should get two buyer leads from. Well, you know, every listing you have, Jim, you may get five buyer leads out of it, but I may not be as good at converting right buyer leads so i may need to get eight listings to get five buyer leads so i, I just it, for me it's just eye-opening just to kind of once again look back and say tracking data is unbelievably important now i don't think we want to spend 99 percent of our time tracking data but tracking data when you run a business and every realtor and broker in the country is running a business right. um it's just it's just well and i th look there's there's no question those who set goals are more likely to to succeed at whatever the the measurement is we're looking at so in real estate if i set a goal and say i want to do 25 transactions this year i'm far more likely to get there but if i write it down i am even you know more likely and if i then go through and have a have a process by which i i you know measure that look at it on a regular basis and and watch where i am that's when the success comes and you talk to you know marjorie adam is one of our agents here in charlottesville who leads a very successful team and does a lot of coaching will tell you one of the most successful, you know, one of the one of the most important things they do is to track her weekly. It's the call log. It's they call it the greatness tracker, but it's tracking how many times you have coffee with people, how many times you make phone calls, how many times you get in front of of people to for presentations, what your your closing record is, because all of that. It's not just this week. It is how does this week relate to last week? How does this week relate to last year? At the same time, understanding where your market is, what you need to do to to get your your marketing pieces up because if you wait until you go wow this has been a horrible year it is too late to change anything about it to, to or get on the flip side if your sales are up 100 percent in a month and somebody says oh my gosh what'd you do you can actually tell them well if you haven't been tracking it you think right. i don't know i got lucky yeah <laughs> so i got, I got lucky it's yeah, like, how many you know, times it's, have we how many times have we heard that oh wow my year was made by these one or two one people deal. who who came in that i wasn't really expecting them to happen or what happened? Oh, it wasn't a great year because I well, I had three clients. And they just didn't they just didn't buy when they said they were going to, but they're going to still happen. So it's just, you know, and people start changing the way they view their year based on what they really don't know how to track. No, I think the key on that is is maintaining you know, the cliche of, st of steadying the course, whether you're up or down at any given time. Just keep doing what you're doing if it's proven to be successful, to make sure that you're you're not losing focus of well, I've had a you know a poor two months. You just keep doing what you need to do. You make those calls. You meet the people. It's it's again it's it's, it's an easy thing to say to do, but it, the execution is really hard. Well, the the idea of and when you when you first start a business out, doesn't matter if you're a realtor or you're a restaurant owner or you're a consulting company or a tech company, you take you know you take that handful of spaghetti at the beginning, you throw it against the wall, right? Right. And you do that a couple times, and you kind of see what sticks. If you're not really paying attention. You know, you, you shouldn't do that for very long. So as, if you're a realtor and you've been in the business for three, five, 10, 15 years, 
there's very little throwing spaghetti against the wall you should be doing. It should be figuring out kind of what works for you and what right. you're good at and tracking, you know, tracking that information. So And trying new things and failing and, and learning from yeah. the, from those failures. Because if, if you keep again, if you keep doing the same thing and you're okay and you're okay with that, great. But I think that in order to advance and build the business, you need to be trying different things as you go through the process and seeing what works. Well, there's no, there's no doubt. I mean, people who, who talk to new agents and, and talk about training, if you're in your infancy of your business, and I say that meaning the first seven, eight years when you're beginning to build a book of referral business and, and things should be growing every year, pretty much just by being in business, you right. should be improving. And and you'll see people are making 10%, 20% growth in a year. That can happen in the beginning just by the nature of being the business. But when someone comes in and says, I want to improve my business 50% this year, you have to be able to look back and be able to measure and say, this is, where are we going to make the changes? Where did your leads come from initially? What it was the basis of it? And be able to start looking at what is, what's adjustable and what can you, what do you have control over? So let's get specific here, um, Keith, and I'm going to pass this over to Jim too, but you run, a, you run the mentorship program right. and have trained a lot of new agents. What are the couple things that you tell people specifically to do and to track from the early stages, the first couple of years of their business? What what have you found to be important? In, in so, well, the, the first year is always, I mean, to be completely blunt, the first year is a crapshoot, right? I mean, you're going to go out and you're going to try as many different things as you can, as many different ways. And and part of this goes back to, you know, you were saying, oh, maybe you get more buyer leads than Jim does or Jim gets more buyer leads off of listings than you do. You know, for the brand new agent, I tell them, go out and do open houses all the time. But understand, open houses are not the way that everybody converts clients. Some people are much better at running open houses and, and building a relationship in three minutes than others are. If that's not your shtick, that's fine. Go find what your shtick is, right? This may be a long-term, you know, business relationship that's going to provide the leads. But I think it is, it's a question of putting down every bit of your sphere, where you operate, what are the things you're really passionate about to begin with? And I, I tell the first year agents, I mean, this is, it, it flows over to 10 year agents as well. But if you are doing something you are passionate about, the people who you are involved with in those areas will, will gain strength and, and trust in what you're doing. If you go and join something in order to get leads, you will never be successful in doing that. That's just not it, – it, there's not a long-term relationship to it. It's no, obvious. I mean, when, when I played soccer um, before I, you know, retired due to injury. Uh, when you, you coach know, soccer. I mean, you're doing that for your Coaching kids. soccer doesn't count. I think I've had two clients in, like, 15 years of coaching kids. So that's not – there's no ROI on that. Because you're mean. That's, well, I, you're, I they, mean. You were nice to their children. So <laughs> my girls – you go to any of the girls I coached, they, you go say, what did Coach Jim tell you? They'll say, life's hard, suck it up. Every single kid will tell you that life lesson. But no, but coaching soccer, no, no ROI. But playing soccer, I sold, I represented a lot of clients, buyers and sellers, through soccer, through playing for 10 or 20 years. And did you play soccer in order to get leads? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was the only, no. I mean, I, I played because I loved it. <laughs> right. You know, and, I, and when I had to quit, uh, I started riding a bicycle. And so I'm, I'm working that sphere. But it took me three or four years to get a transaction from riding a bicycle. Sure. Which is, that's a terrible ROI if I'm going to do that to get a transaction. It's a terrible short-term ROI. Right, right, but but, it, but but as long as what you're doing are the things that you really love, number one, you're going to be more likely to continue doing it. Right, and I think that's a that's a huge part. And so you know, your question of what do we tell people to do? I think the measurement is where are you know where are those relationships? Who are you spending your time with? Who can you ask for for referrals? Because the reality is, it's not that everyone I know is going to buy a house because that's just not in the next year. That's not true. Everyone I know will probably know somebody though who is going to buy a mm -hmm. house. And the question is. Are you in the right place and are you consistently in front of them and reminding them of where you are? And I think 
that speaks to our Friends of Nest program and, and trying to, to quietly be front of mind with people. It, it goes to, you know, any number of, of, you know, back to the Marjorie Adam, the greatness tracker. It's how often are you actually speaking to them? How often are you, you know, right. breaking bread with them? It's, it's just, it's, it's just, just consistency. It's just showing up. It's, well, it's showing, showing up, up and answering the phone. I'll also go back to the the idea of passion. If you're going to do something, do it. So I was listening to a real estate podcast a couple of months ago, and uh, the the person on the podcast was talking about he was a broker and one of their agents um, was building their business off of o- hosting open houses for other agents for other yeah. agents, and they didn't just wake up on Sunday morning and that the open house was one to four and show up at twelve forty eight and put the sign out and go in and turn the lights on and walk in. They made sure that if they were hosting an open house, they knew everything within a half a mile sure. that was for sale. They had gone through, they had toured it, they had printed off um, listings for all those properties. Yeah. They knew everything about every property in that neighborhood. So when somebody came in, because they found that half the people that came in to check that listing out lived in the neighborhood and were probably going to list their house in the next right. com- coming months. And this agent started to get listings started to build their business from the beginning, which is very hard to build your business off of listings, but they started mm-hmm. to build their business off of listings within a neighborhood because they put the time and the effort into it. So it's not just it's not just showing up, but you've got to be you got to be But you have to know your stuff. You have to know your stuff. So yeah. I I'm working with hopefully working with a new buyer client and they came to me after it was you know they came to me because they clicked on something on Zillow, got set up with an agent, went out with this guy a couple times and they said we're looking for insight. Every house we went into he had the same insight that you know we had more insight than he did after 10 minutes of us digging on Zillow and, and or you know on online so we're looking for someone who's going to share their opinions and give us insight and you know I I'd shown most of the houses they were talking about I knew what you know I knew what they were looking for I gave them my insight and we're going to w- probably be working together so it's yeah it's showing up but it's also knowing your stuff you know your and passionate about what yeah. you have um but I will say one thing on on the whoop strap um uh, everybody in this room uh will not be getting ads on Instagram because you and I were talking about Whoop yesterday. Yeah. And 15 minutes later, I was looking at Instagram. There's an ad for Whoop. So just beware that, you know, the phones are listening to you. And uh, you all get an ad for, for Whoop Strap now. And I highly recommend the Whoop Strap <laughs> if, if you're into that type of thing. Um, no, I mean, I th- yeah, I think that we're, you know, cooperation's key. I think that the uh, d- tracking data is key and, and tracking the ones you cooperate with. I mean, I, I think that from an agent perspective, there are certainly agents I'd rather work with on the other side. And also be open to the newbies as they come along because the good newbies are going to be around in five years. Right. So be nice to everybody. Absolutely.